Are you looking for entertainment for a fundraiser, outreach, youth night, date night, or for a conference? Does your team need a way to improve team camaraderie, confidence, and communication? Well, look at Wellverse Comedy for a show, performance, or a workshop. Wellverse Comedy is Chicago's clean comedy team, and we're ready to serve you, your audience, or your organization. We've headlined our own shows at the Second City at Gutty's Comedy Club in Indianapolis and started our own TV show called His Line. And we've raised over $5,000 for charity in just the last two years. We are now booking for your back-to-school bash, fundraiser, and even your holiday parties. Contact us today, and let's see how a night of high-energy, clean, original, family-friendly comedy can make your next event memorable for all the right reasons. Connect with us on social media at WellversedCMDY. That's at WellversedCMDY. Or online at WellversedComedy.com. WellversedComedy.com. For booking information, email us improv at WellversedComedy.com. Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hey, welcome to Gifts for Glory. This is Dave Ebert. I'm so excited to have you along with us tonight. Or we're at, uh, if you're watching during the day, during the morning, whatever. We're glad that you're here with us. And uh, uh, just a really blessed uh, to have an audience following us. And uh, the different stories we tell each and every week. A uh, huge shout out to my friend uh, Felicity Joy, our uh, Patreon supporter, uh, for supporting Gifts for Glory Ministries. Uh, if you're interested in supporting what we do, whether you're, uh, it's a podcast, our comedy troupe, whatever it may be, we'd love for you to support us at patreon.com slash gifts for glory. Uh, that's patreon.com slash gifts for glory. It just helps us uh, pay the bills with the uh, the cost of podcasting uh, and uh, will help us grow the uh, the comedy ministry. We had a great show on um, on uh, Saturday night. Went to Wisconsin, which was our fourth state uh, that we've been to. Uh, we've been to, obviously, here in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and now Wisconsin. I went to Beloit to the Overflowing Cup um, Coffee House. They've been around since 1974. And it's just an honor to, to perform at a venue that's uh, served so many people. Uh, they uh, focus on reaching out to uh, uh, the homeless as well as those that are in, in extreme poverty and giving them entertainment on, on a weekly basis. So uh, we were uh, just blessed to be able to come up there, share a little bit of our joy in comedy. And uh, if you're interested in uh, supporting us, you can do the Patreon thing or you can hire us directly. Uh, just get in contact with us at improv at wellversedcomedy.com improv at wellversecomedy.com to uh, book us for your next event. And now let's move on to our Devotion with Dave segment. Our Devotion with Dave segment comes from uh, the book of John. And in fact, this is one of my favorite verses because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's John eleven thirty five. Simply says, Jesus wept. Now, to me, the reason that this verse is powerful, and you get an entire sermon out of it, is Jesus knowing full well that he was about to resurrect Lazarus because, you know, he's fully God, fully man. He's there with those who are mourning and he mourned with them. He allowed his humanity show and he showed that it's okay. Number one, it's okay for a man to cry. Some of us, we try to be too tough and we try to be too strong and rub some dirt on it. 
But it's okay to weep with those who weep. It's okay to mourn with those who mourn. And I think it's powerful to see that Jesus, who is the manliest of all men, I mean, he took a beating that no man really could survive, but he did it because he loved us. So this was the toughest, strongest man ever, and he wept. He broke down and he cried with those who mourned. And I think that's an encouragement to us men that it's okay. It's okay to share some of our emotions. It's okay to to weep and to mourn when we lose or when something is tragic. And it also shows that God understands. God understands our pain. He understands that when we lose somebody, that that's painful and it's hard. And Jesus came alongside Mary and Martha and, and all the friends and family of Lazarus, and he wept in that moment. So I think that it, it just speaks volumes about who Jesus is. And I want to encourage you men, it's okay. Share some emotion. You don't have to hide it all because when you hide it all, it creates calluses. It creates hardships for you and your family. Obviously, don't share with everybody, but share with those you trust. Share with those you love uh, and bring them in. Don't keep everybody at arm's length, especially your wife. Uh, let her in on uh, the emotions that you're feeling and, and struggling. Uh, so that is our devotions with Dave. Uh, the shortest book, our shortest verse in the Bible, but... Uh, just as equally important as anything else. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And that is our devotion with Dave segment for tonight. And now let's get on to uh, our guest for this evening. Our guest is a reverend. He's a, an author. And he's out to uh, shake up the narratives in the in our country today. Uh, so let me uh, bring on uh, uh, Reverend Kevin McGarry. Kevin, uh, Kevin welcome to uh, Gifts of Glory. Dave, Brother Dave, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me, Brother. Absolutely. I was uh, really excited uh, when uh, 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 when Leslie, I, I should remember her name. I've had 10 emails with her, uh, but Leslie uh, shared your bio, shared uh, uh, your mission with me. With me. Uh, tell us uh, first, uh, how, you know, you, uh, you're one of the leaders of or the founders of Every Black Life Matters. Tell us how that came about and what inspired you to uh, to get this this ball rolling. Man, I tell you what, that's a great question. I'm, I'm glad you're giving me an opportunity to uh, sort of expose who we are and how we came uh, to be. Uh, essentially, myself, and my co-founder, Neil Mauman, uh saw what was happening with the George Floyd riots of a few years ago. We saw BLM uh, with their brethren in the Antifa, uh, in my opinion, a white supremacist group uh, who were going to black uh, inner city, mostly communities around the country and burning down black and brown businesses. Yeah. And then we saw a lot of pastors and ministers really saying, hey, man, wait, go on and be with BLM. And this is our time. And, and, and we thought, well, wait a minute. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist, uh, you know, anti-family, anti-father, uh, yeah. you know, really anti-black life organization. And, and why would any pastor especially be encouraging parishioners to go and participate with those guys. So we understood that there was a real desire to express outrage and sorrow and grief and all of those things. But we thought the way that BLM and Antifa were doing it was just way over the top. But uh, so we decided, you know, look, let, let's pray about this and let's see what the Lord would lead us to do. And uh, after a couple of days, we came back and we decided to start Every Black Life Matters. Now, um, some people will say, why didn't you, why didn't you do it? All lives matter. Every life matters. And that's exactly what we're saying. Every black life matters means all lives matter. Now, 
Yeah. The, the way that that means that is because when Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, decided to go out and make the statement that she wanted to exterminate the entire Negro population, uh, she didn't say Negroes and Hispanics or Negroes and Asians or Negro and any other ethnicity. She said, I want to kill some blacks. And that's why we're doing Planned Parenthood. So and, and unfortunately, the Planned Parenthood is within walking distance of, you know, 90 percent of all black communities, uh, mm. urban communities in the country. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, Planned Parenthood has been very successful at Margaret Sanger's mission, which means that we have blacks being born at this rate and all other ethnicities being born at this rate. So uh, we wanted every black life to matter because it illuminates the fact that there is one specific ethnicity that is being summarily targeted by Planned Parenthood for yeah. extermination. And all lives matter. God made one human race. All lives matter. Every life matters. So that means that we should all be on one accord with saying, look, stop the targeting of the black community. Stop the targeting of black babies. All lives matter. And that's our way of getting that up on the table so we can make that statement. Absolutely. And that's something that I've noticed is that, like you said, Planned Parenthood seems to be in the black communities. It, it is in the middle. Yeah. And when I bring that up, you know, based on Margaret Sanger's history and this, then I'm I'm called a racist because I don't care about black people who need the medical care that's provided and I'm like, but Planned Parenthood doesn't provide a lot of medical care. They they resource the uh, many things, but most you can't go to get a mammogram. You can't go to get a, um, you, know, hit, uh, you know, all the different checkups that need to happen. They resource that out. But Absolutely. abortion is their industry. And it was founded in Margaret Sanger's own words to uh, decrease the growth of the black population. Yeah, she was a eugenicist, and uh, eugenics is around, and we can get more into this when I talk about my book, but eugenics is only here because of white supremacy and racism. Mm -hmm. So the people who started eugenics were white supremacists. They said, look, we, we, we need to protect our, you know, we have all these other ethnicities that are overpopulating the planet, and we're not going to exist anymore as whites, so we need to come up with a scheme to exterminate people and they came up with eugenics, which means well-born. And I'll get into that later. But yeah. the point is, is Margaret Sanger was of that mindset. She was the eugenicist. And so she wanted to do anything to exterminate blacks and, and reduce the numbers of blacks here in the United States. And uh, going back to uh, what you said about uh, Black Lives Matter, the, the uh, matter, the organization itself, what you said about them being Marxist and being against family and fathers that's not some conspiracy theory that just uh, originated in some right wing uh, vacuum. This is something that's actually on their website. Absolutely. And this was all on their website. So the, the way that we started, we said, look, we want to be the exact opposite of, of BLM. We want to be the righteous and faithful alternative to Black Lives Matter. So we went to the BLM website at the time and we saw all this stuff and we just did the exact opposite. So if you go to our website, we talk about uh, Black Life Mattering from the womb to the tomb, from conception to the grave, number one. Number two, school choice, fatherhood, nuclear family, uh, fr free markets and capitalism, uh, nonviolent. So these are all things that were the antithesis of what BLM stands for, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so we are the righteous and faithful alternative. We understand there's a lot of people of faith that really believe that there's, there's some disproportional plight in the black community. And there is so, and they would like to try to address it some kind of way in a righteous and faithful way. Well, we're how you do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's why we're here. And, and the good news is uh, you won't be buying million dollar homes for friends and family based on off donations. We have nobody on the payroll. I mean, you know, everybody is, uh, you know, we, we, we do this. Uh, we have a few donations coming in. We got some, we have some good people that support us around the country, but no, we, there won't be anybody buying mansions or anything like that. We don't, we, it, it's not that kind of a, a deal here. Uh, we don't have employees on the pay- payroll. I mean, we're just uh, basically going around the country uh, trying to spread the good news of truth and deal with the false narratives of our demonic culture. And while we do that, we just make sure that we take care of enough expenses so we can at least break even at the end of the year. Um, so uh, what is the uh, the best way to support uh, every BLM, every black? Yeah, so you just go to the website, everyblm.com, everyblm.com. We have partner programs. We have monthly giving and all kinds of support mechanisms there for you. And you could support us and, and pray for us. And we, we would appreciate that very much. I mean, uh, okay, here's the thing, uh, Dave. Uh, our organization is at the tip of the spear on culture. We recognize there's a lot of people that don't want to deal with culture because they don't, they don't really have the talking points. They don't really understand uh, how crazy it is. They don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to be canceled, all of that. Mm-hmm. We get that. So we're at the tip of the spear for you. We'll do it for you. So we are going out and we're teaching families and communities and and others about anti-critical race theory. We're teaching them, uh, you know, uh, the difference between biblical justice and social justice. We're, we're, We're doing all of the things that make a difference in these communities without you necessarily doing it. So if you want to to really go out and combat culture, but you don't really feel comfortable doing that, fine, partner with us. We'll do the heavy lift. We'll do the work. Um, and that's why we've gone around the country. Uh, we've been practically in every state doing our uh, workshops and trainings and helping these communities come along with what's really happening with their children and, and their education. And uh, what is critical race theory and how does it what, how does it manifest in, in curriculum? And, and uh, what is social justice and how do I compare that to a real biblical justice? What is liberation theology or black liberation theology? And how does how is that not comport with the gospel? These are the things that we do, and we feel very comfortable doing it. So we don't care what the audience is. We just come out and make it happen, and uh, we don't mince words. We don't equivocate. We, we go out, and we help people understand what's really going on mm-hmm. and uh, let the chips fall where they may. How much pushback uh, have you received, and how hard is it? Uh, how hard have people come after you? Because when you come against the, the, the narrative of the time, there's going to be pushback. So how, how hard has it been? Yeah, so uh, really, we haven't received any. Uh, You you think about this, okay? Um, First of all, BLM, Black Lives Matter, before Black Lives Can Matter generally, every single Black life would have to matter specifically. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. You you, you know, you're just talking. You're you're talking gibberish, right? So it's hard for any BLMer or anybody who supports BLM to say, look, uh, you know, and come against us in any real way because we're saying look every single black life matters Hmm. so it 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 comports with their overall narrative right so uh so we don't get any pushback that way uh when we go out and talk about these 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 sort of um, 
narratives within culture, uh, we're talking truths and facts. We don't let emotions, you know, sort of cloud the room. So uh, we show footnotes and and chapter and verse, and and so we don't we don't we're not trying to be controversial. We are helping people to understand the truth. We're dealing with the false narratives. Mm-hmm. And um, so we don't we, we haven't received any pushback by God's grace because we're, we're, we're not trying to start a fight or anything. We're, right. we're just, hey, this is what it is. So, you know, um, you know awesome. for us, it's been it's been really, really great. Good. So uh, you touched on it uh, a few moments ago. Uh, uh, your uh, books are available on uh, um, Amazon just by searching your name, Kevin McGarry. Uh, tell us about uh, the book that just came out uh, about three weeks ago, uh, Woked Up. Uh, tell us about the book, the inspiration, and the, and the message. Yeah, so Woked Up is really going, uh, trying to counter the, the woke narrative, right? The woke people, even within the body of Christ, that would tell us, look, you, you voted for XYZ president, so therefore you're a right Christian nationalist, you're mm-hmm. privileged, you're racist, you're this and that. Uh, those that, you know, these pejoratives that, that the woke mob always put out there and try to cancel you and dox you and do all of these other things that are just uh, unnecessary. Um, uh, so I started to, to look at that. Now, all I've written five books and all of my books are written under the inspiration of Holy Spirit because really I'm not a writer. But I can write. I can just flow with the spirit. Right. So. So I thought when the Lord gave me this as an assignment to write, I thought we would look, be looking at Marx because everybody understands that the woke movement is really rooted in Marxism. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I would do a deep dive on Marx. And I felt that still small voice say, no, 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 son. Uh, Marx had a mentor. He had somebody that he dedicated all his early works to. So I went to Marx and Engels, all of their early works, and uh, realized that they had dedicated it to Charles Robert Darwin. So I started with Darwin. And uh, that was really profound because um, uh, Darwin, in his first book on natural selection, the subtitle is For the Preservation of Most Favored Races. I'm thinking, Hmm. wow, Darwin in the 1800s wrote about favored races. In his second book, In the Descent of Man, he goes into a lot of detail about what that means. He basically surmises that the white race, the Caucasian, European, Aryan, whatever you want to call it, is much more evolved and developed. And it's at the, the, the fully evolved race. In other words, intellectually and resourcefully, uh, whites are much more superior than every other ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, by the way, you look at the blacks, you see they're part of that. They're still trying to climb the evolutionary cycle. Blacks are subhuman, uh, gorillas apes and savages. Hmm. So in one fell swoop, he instantiates white supremacy and racism. So the subtitle of the book, uh, you know, I don't know, you you had it up for a second there, but the subtitle is, um, it's woke up and the subtitle is, yeah, finally uh, putting an ax to the taproot of white supremacy and racism. And Charles Darwin, believe it or not, is the taproot of our modern day narrative about white supremacy and racism. And it's inescapable. So here's here's why I say that. Some people would say, well, look, uh, white supremacy has always been around and racism has always been here since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And I have to correct him. I say, no, 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 not in our context. Absolutely not. In the fall, uh, from the We've had um, a malice in our heart. We've had a malady of the heart since the Garden of Eden. Yes, 
But we've had, so in the way that that manifested prior to Darwin making these grandiose proclamations, uh, we had it manifested with tribalism and ethnic strife and, and uh, you know, people would just run into each other and realize you're from another part of the world and, or another tribe and you wouldn't want anything to do with these people or you would distrust people off, off top. Hmm. But there was no distinction for supremacy until Darwin said, uh, look, no, we, you know, evolution is real. God didn't make one human race. We've had everybody, all these different races evolving differently. Whites are absolutely supreme. We are elite. We're intellectually superior. We're the ones who are the most evolved. And all of their ethnicities, and especially the Blacks, look at them. They're subhuman. They're mm -hmm. apes. They're savages. They're gorillas. That's when uh, plantation owners who had slaves, because slavery was going on when, when Darwin wrote his book, plantation owners, when they got wind of this, then they really started to treat their slaves any old kind of way, right? Some people would ask, you know, well, uh, you know, because they, they hear the story about uh, plantation owners and who were actually preachers, and they would preach a, a really profound sermon on Sunday and then go whip their, their slaves, uh, you know, all day long in the following mm -hmm. day. The way that they would do that is they felt that, look, these people are subhuman. Darwin already said he's a renowned scientist. He's fine. People are subhuman. I can treat them any old kind of way. I can rape the, the women, the girls. It's fine. They're, they're still trying to climb the scale. So there was no conviction in their mind about doing mm -hmm. anything wrong because this is a, a different species that's trying right. to evolve. Uh, so that's where the the horrible treatment came in for humanity uh, when it, during times of slavery. But that didn't really start uh, uh, where where men and women were perceived in such a derogatory way until a renowned scientist, world renowned and and heralded, uh, well respected, made that proclamation that these people are subhuman and we're superior. So that's where white supremacy comes from. Um, and like I said, prior to that, there was no distinction for it. There was no ontological, anthropological, scientific distinction for supremacy. It just didn't exist. Charles Darwin and people just, uh, and pardon the joke, they just trusted the science. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the other thing that he did now. Uh, I, I alluded to this earlier in a conversation. So he had a first cousin by the name of Francis Galton. Now, Francis Galton was a was an incredible uh, pioneer, one of the early pioneers of modern day statistics. He was an incredible mind, a brilliant, brilliant guy. He was Darwin's younger first cousin. And he says, look, uh, you know, I've taken a look at the uh, the population growth amongst these various ethnicities around the world. And he says, look, Charles, um, you know, unless we can come up with some kind of mechanism, some kind of way to uh, ease the population of these other ethnicities. We're going to be, the planet's going to be overpopulated. Whites will be overrun. You know, your survival of the fittest thing, well, we're not going to be the fittest because we have all these other ethnicities that are going to overpopulate. Uh, so whites wouldn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And so out of their own supremacy, they created the distinction of eugenics. It's a Greek word that means well-born. Uh, and so they said, look, anybody well-born, great, it's fine. If you're well-born, if you have, you know, white, uh, you know, uh, genes, uh, fantastic. But if you're any other ethnicity, you can be, you can be exterminated. 
Uh, and certainly if you have any uh, maladies, if you're born with any deformities or any kinds of you know issues like that, you can be exterminated. So from that, that was where we got Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao, all the other despots in history, in the history of humankind. They used Darwin as their excuse. And so in this book, I make those connections. You see their exact quotes where they're saying, oh, no, 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 we, we can do this. No, Darwin, Darwin's a scientist, he says, you know. And so that's where we had this mass extermination, uh, mass genocide of their own populations, just because they weren't of that well-born ilk. And uh, so that's where it came from. Now, when it came to the United States, we saw it in the form of sterilizations and abortion. So mm -hmm. for all of your listeners and people, you know, people who follow you, who are unsure about abortion, um, because they think, you know, woman's right to choose, it seems reasonable. Yeah, take this into consideration, folks. If you, if you acknowledge and accept abortion in any of its current forms, you must own that then you are a white supremacist and racist. The only reason why abortion is here today is because Darwin and his first cousin concocted it because of their supremacy. That's it. And, and, and they hated you know, any other ethnicities. That's it, folks. So there was no scientist, science around it or anything like that. It's here because of supremacy. So mm -hmm. if you say, look, oh, well, I'm still going to be a pro-abort. Okay, fine. Just, just, just say, look, I'm a white supremacist and a racist. It's okay. Just, just own it, though. Don't be pointing at us and saying, look, forget that. You, you own it, okay? Wow. That's powerful, and it's true. Like, yeah. All the roots go right to, and it doesn't matter how many white Hollywood celebrities are shouting their abortion today. That, that's the ugly fruit from a tree that's got deep roots. Absolutely. So at this point, I want to, uh, I, I'm really excited. I'm going to pick up the book and I really want to see more about you know, how Darwin and I, I want to be careful because I don't want this to seem like we're a political show right now because what we're talking about seems to kind of be going against one political ideology, but we can't say that because you got two wings on the same bird. If it if we had another side that would fight the evil, then we could, you know, it wouldn't be so political. But I think that uh, the silence on the other side, while this side is ha is supporting this, is just as evil. Yeah. Uh, Here's the beautiful thing about this book, okay? This is an apolitical book. There's no politics in it. It's just dealing with ideologies. It's dealing with culture. So uh, the good news is, is you can get the book, you know, if you have very political friends and you want to get them one too, and it's fine. Uh, we're just dealing with history, facts, and, and culture. Uh, now, it just so happens that leftist progressives are the ones who own the whole woke stuff, right? Right. Um, and because of that, you, you deal with it. Um, and, but it's not necessarily a political party we're pointing at here. It's an ideology, a cultural ideology. Yeah. And then uh, the, the thing from a faith perspective is, if you feel offended, why are you offended? Is it because that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit falling on you? Or are we being unfair? I think it may be more the former. Yeah, so, so, so let's, let's talk about that. Because we do have people in the body of Christ that would say, hey, I'm a social justice warrior in the church. 
Uh, I'm, uh, I believe in black liberation theology. James Cone was a great man. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I remind pastors of this all the time. Look, um, our brother Paul, Apostle Paul, he gave us uh, one really severe admonition. Uh, that would be Galatians 1.8 and 1.9. He says, look, now, we, we, we've been experiencing the gospel and gave you the full gospel. He says, but if, if even if an angel from heaven comes and gives you one iota of a different gospel, they are cursed to hell. Mm. This is Paul. This is not me. This is Paul. And then he was so emphatic about it, he literally repeated himself in verse 9. I mean, it's the same thing. He says, and I say again, if anybody gives you any kind of additional gospel, in other words, if you add social justice into your message, if you add a little bit of black liberation theology or liberation theology generally into your message, guess what? You are literally heaping curses on yourself and any of your parishioners that would that would in, embrace the foolishness, right? So this is not me being judgmental. This is word of God. This is there. Go to Galatians 1.8 and 1.9. You can see it. Uh, and so why don't we do that, right? So uh, this is not about whether you like it or not. This is the, the truth. This is the gospel. I don't, I don't have an axe to grind about this. Yeah. And in other places, the, or another place the Bible says, you know, don't add or take away anything from this book. Yeah. So uh, Paul's admonition, and uh, got it uh, scrolling on the screen now from uh, Galatians uh, 1, 8, and 9. Yeah. Uh, let God's uh, curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one pre we preach to you. I say again that we have. Uh, I say again what we have said before: if anyone uh, preaches uh, any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And yeah. that's a strong admonition. That's not mincing words. That's not. There's no sugar there. That's all salt. And, it's all uh, salt, brother. And uh, Paul was very good at that. Paul was next to Jesus, one of my probably my favorite character, if you will, in, in the Bible, because he was, you know, he was direct when he had to be. He was also passive aggressive when he had to be. Read Philemon for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's powerful admonition. Don't add, don't take away. Because yeah. God wrote His perfect word perfectly, and that's yeah. all we need. That's the barometer we need. So this. Point, I want to uh, transition and uh, hear your story. Uh, favorite parts of uh, of this show is to hear each person's journey to Christ. Did you grow up in a Christian home? How did you uh, find Jesus as your Savior? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, you know, I was born in Hunter's Point, the Hunter's Point projects in San Francisco, project housing in San Francisco in the 1960s. Okay, so, mm -hmm. you know, it was abject poverty. Uh, for first several years of my life. And then we moved to a lower middle-class community neighborhood. Uh, dad was an alcoholic all my formative years. Uh, my mother prayed him into the kingdom and he, you know, he's great. I mean, they're still together today, 63 years, amazing couple uh, living in San Francisco. But uh, so, so that was, you know, so I was a, basically a, you know, inner city dweller and uh, did all the crazy neighborhood stuff, you know, you know, I was kind of a ruffian. I just enjoyed to scrap a lot and, and do that kind of stuff. But my father always came home every single day. So I knew I better not ever get arrested and I better get good grades because dad always came home, even though he was drunk. Uh, and so um, uh, because he was coming home every day, it was, a, it was a profound influence on me. 
but so I stayed in school, got good grades, and, and went to San Jose State and, and got a sociology degree. And um, uh, mother continued to pray for me and my, my walk during these times and, and uh, got a sociology degree. So I'm, let, let's review this. So the Lord allowed me to experience abject poverty, inner city living, uh, liberalism to the T, uh, you know, in San Francisco. And that's just kind of where I was raised. Went to San Jose State, a sociology degree, so full-on Marxist kind of understanding and learning. And then get out, meet the love of my life. We've been married now for going on 36 years. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, and, and we decided, look, we're going to take God at his word. And uh, so we just committed our lives to the Lord and committed our lives to discipleship. During that process of discipleship, what the Lord really pointed out to us is, we had been all these other domains of our life was fine. We in alignment and that, that's fine. But in the area of civic engagement, he says, you haven't even looked at this. He says, you know, the, the kingdom is holistic. It's not just, uh, you know, this domain and that domain. And then I can do what I want in these other domains. It's everywhere. He wants mm-hmm. the kingdom influence to infuse every area of our life. So my wife and I looked at this. Now, she's a psychologist. She's a psychology major uh and and degree and i had a sociology degree so we looked at it together we're very pragmatic and we said look this you know because we looked at our civic engagement we took a look at the political platforms and we realized the way that we were born and raised in inner city and all that with the mindset that we had that the way we were voting was completely anti- just it was complete it, it, it disempowered our community mm. and we said wow that you know we had no idea we ne- didn't realize the platforms were so stark. One was sort of anti-God and 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 really encouraging dependence, and the other was was pro-God and and like that. So, so uh, from, from Reagan's second term all the way into now, you know, we've been uh, participating um, in in a very you know more of a conservative way, a biblical. I don't even want to say conservative or GOP, but a biblical way. We apply the Bible to our vote. So, um, you know, we we use the Bible as our guidepost. Um, which means that, you know, typically that means that we have to vote for somebody that honors God, honors what God deems as a family, honors what God deems as a male and a female, honors what God deems as as, as children, how precious they are, Jeremiah 1.5. Um, so there, there's a particular faction out there that, that aligns with that. No. Um, and uh, so we've been voting that way for ever since, right? Um, but but and, and as a result of that, God gave me these multiple books to write. And so I've been uh, occasionally the Holy Spirit will just give me a dump and and it's just a flow for me. I most of my books I write in about nine or 10 weeks, including all the research and footnotes. Oh, wow. It doesn't take that long because I don't. Uh, it's just a flow. I'm just right. getting the download like, oh, okay. I mean, it's just it's like that. So. Very cool. I, I like that. And I, I appreciate the fact, in, in some ways, it reminds me of Clarence Thomas's story where, you know, he was immersed in that progressive culture for much of his life. And then he had that awakening, realizing, wait a minute, this isn't actually helping my people. This is actually yeah. holding us back. And, um, you know, he rose from abject poverty in, uh, in Alabama to uh, a Supreme Court justice. So, yeah. It, uh, it's very cool to see that that mirrored, and I really appreciate your story there. Uh, before we went on, on the air, I talked about uh, you do have another conference call coming up, so I don't want to – I want to respect your time. Uh, so I want to plug your book one more time. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. 
uh, by searching Kevin McGarry, Kevin, and the last name is M-C-G-A-R-Y for those that are listening. Uh, and uh, what I want to do is I just want to wrap up uh, with the final question that I ask every guest. And that question is this. Uh, for anyone that's listening or watching that wants to step into using their gifts for God's glory, what would you say your wise counsel is for them? Uh, so if you want to use whatever you think your gifts are for God's glory, completely yield to God to do the work. So just avail yourself. Uh, a lot of us think that, hey, you know, I have a wonderful voice or I'm a gifted writer. And then we just start to try to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, really, God, what God wants is vessels, available vessels that are his, that he can just put a spirit into and just produce whatever good works. So uh, don't try to do anything yourself of your own strength because it's, it's you know, it's hard to try to write a book. <laughs> well, I, could, I can't imagine what people literally go through to try to write. I don't do any of that. I just, okay, Holy Spirit, what you got? Okay, good. Uh, and, and the singing and any other gifts like that, it's what, what the Lord wants is he wants us to be available. He wants to do wonderful works through us, but he needs us to be empty. Yeah. Uh, so empty yourself of culture, empty, empty yourself of your self-ambition or self-ambition or vainglory. Uh, you know, all of those things that could be a hindrance, right? And just let him do the work and he'll open the door, he'll open the pathway and he'll give you the capacity for greatness. But you've got to rely on him completely, solely. That's That's a good word. I appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, Kevin McGarry, I thank you so much for, for being on, for sharing your story. I encourage everyone to visit uh, everyblm.com. Uh, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, uh, where you're at uh, politically or, or whatever. Uh, this is about truth. This is about meeting at the foot of the cross, no matter whether you're coming from the right or the left. It's joining in the middle at the foot of the cross and seeking truth. So, uh, uh, Kevin, I really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, have a great night. And uh, may the Lord uh, continue to bless you in your work. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate being here. God bless you. Happy two, happy 2023. Happy 2023 to you as well. Uh, so, Gary, uh, Kevin McGarry, take care. And uh, we'll uh, be following you and look for your next book. The next time the Holy Spirit just dumps it in, in your lap. There you go. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. So again, uh, visit uh, everyblm.com uh, for more on uh, Kevin's uh, ministry and his work. Uh, also pick up his book on Amazon. Just search for author Kevin McGarry, M-C-G-A-R-Y. Uh, so really appreciate him being on and sharing. And again, this wasn't about politics. This was about the truth. Uh, I've shared it with a few people. I, I've long had this image of Jesus on the cross and his right hand and his left hand nailed to the cross as he's struggling to bring us together to the middle where he's at. And that's what we need to do. Instead of playing tug of war with his right arm and his left arm, let's meet in the middle and find what we agree on because the world doesn't want us to realize that we agree on far more than we disagree on. All we have to do is get to the foot of the cross and I encourage you to do that. Uh, stop looking at things as right versus left, conservative versus progressive, uh, Democrat versus Republican. Uh, there's common ground on all sides. And uh, as uh, Reverend uh, McGarry was telling us, <clears throat> every black life matters. Every life matters. Uh, so let's uh, realize that because Jesus came to die for everyone, not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. And uh, once we're uh, conjoined with Christ, we're no longer Jew or Gentile. We are 
part of the body. So thank you so much for joining us this week on Gifts for Glory. Uh, please check out uh, our, our friend's website, uh, everyblm.com. Look for his book on Amazon. And now next week, uh, really excited to uh, bring a couple of my friends on. Uh, Jesse and LaDonna Salt, uh, they are the youth pastors at Thrive Church, my home church in uh, Lockport, Illinois. Phenomenal couple with a, a great story. If you've ever heard of the song, uh, God Bless the Broken Road That Led Me Straight to You, this this couple really exemplifies that. So uh, we're going to hear from them, hear about their, their journey, hear uh, their stories, and uh, hear about a real-life version of yours, mine, and ours. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation with two of our, uh, two of my, my wife, Bobby, and my uh, best friends. Uh, really excited to share their story next week here on Gifts of Glory. And uh, so I thank you for joining us. Uh, please, if you're looking for uh, entertainment for your next event, consider Wellversed Comedy. I'm really proud of this team and really excited to share uh, laughter with you uh, in the coming year. we got plenty of open dates on the calendar, so we hope to hear from you soon. And in the meantime, have a blessed week. We will see you next week with Jesse and LaDonna Salt right here on Gifts for Glory. Have a, have a blessed week.